Folks, the 2021 to 2022 season is officially over. The Stanley Cup Finals have concluded. The Colorado Avalanche are your brand new NHL champions. We'll talk about what went on during the series and uh, maybe some lessons from it for the Jets on how the Avalanche built their team and what Winnipeg can do to kind of emulate the same level of success, even if, you know, the Jets probably have a bit of a longer road to, uh, to glory. All of this coming right up on tonight's episode of Locked On, Winnipeg Jets. Or Locked On, the Hockey Jets, your daily podcast on the Winnipeg Jets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to tonight's episode of Locked On Winnipeg Jets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Thank you for choosing to make Locked On Jets your first listen of the day every day. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, Megaphone, Odyssey, and YouTube. As you can see, we have audio and video versions of this podcast available on all of your favorite platforms, so be sure to watch us at home or take us on the go. Tonight's episode is brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline has you covered the season with more props and odds than ever before. BetOnline. It's where the game starts. Now, for tonight's episode, I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, obviously, the Stanley Cup Finals, some observations, um, and maybe some general series thoughts between Tampa and Colorado, but then more importantly... Uh, I know that, of course, you know, the Jets are probably a little bit of a distant thought when it comes to postseason success. It's been a while since the Jets were last on any sort of a deep playoff run. And you might be wondering, how exactly do the Jets get back there? Well, I think Colorado and and Tampa Bay, in in differing ways, I would say, provide an interesting template for two different kinds of success. Uh, So later in this episode, I'll, I'll talk about a couple of key takeaways and lessons that the Jets can use to eventually, you know, one day hopefully get to this point where, well, for one thing, they're actually watchable, and, you know, for the second thing, competing for a cup. But first, let's talk about the playoff series. Um, Colorado was able to finish off the series 4-2 to two in a pretty intense final game. This series was razor-thin margins, I would say, and at first it was kind of, uh, you know, Colorado running away with a lot of the early games. As the series started to wear down or wear on, though, you did start to get the sense that Tampa Bay was waking up. And I, I did say uh, throughout the, the earlier episodes during these playoff runs that, in fact, you know, the home and away split was super noticeable. There was a very stark divide between, um, you know, the road performances where most road opponents were really struggling and the home teams just kind of tore them apart. And at first it kind of seemed like Maybe this was going to be a repeat. Uh, Tampa then had home ice advantage on their own turf, and things were looking okay. But then, of course, um, you know, Colorado did Colorado and was able to start clawing back results. And, you know, the series was a very seesaw back-and-forth affair. But I will say that on the whole, I still think, uh, for my personal tastes, Colorado was the more deserving and higher-quality team. Now, I will say... One of the biggest issues that they had was that Darcy Kemper, for as good as he was, 
on the whole. And I, I would say Kemper was probably, you know, well above average in a lot of areas. The goals that he conceded are are sort of softer shots that, you know, a, a top keeper like maybe, I don't know, Hellebuck or something wouldn't really let through. So, yeah, bit of a tough one for him on a couple of those opportunities. But overall, I thought that, you know, considering on most like elite teams, he'd probably be maybe in a, you know, two number one goalie rotation because he wasn't the clear franchise starter. I thought that he did just enough. And I think he kind of validates the idea that, you know, a, a cup contender may not need to have that true franchise goalie if they have at least one capable guy uh, and another, you know, mostly equally capable, maybe just a step behind as your number two, um, but that you're kind of in like a time sharing situation so that, you know, again, you're not you're not relying heavily like the Jets are on just one goalie. You've got two guys can who can more or less do the job. Uh, Pavel Francos, I don't know if I would really want to trust with a lot of cup games, but, you know, in the games that he came in, I thought he was very solid throughout the playoffs. So um, overall, I think that that was a big help for this Avs team, because other than that, they really didn't have too many weaknesses. I thought defensively they were pretty disciplined. I thought that their offensive counters looked good. Just in general, Colorado was really fast and they really pushed uh, Tampa all the way to the brink. And the Lightning had some really good responses. But you kind of got the sense that over time, especially in game six, they were just slowing down. They would have really strong dominant stretches, but then Colorado would start to gain control of the game again. And, you know, Tampa, I, I think the past couple of years, a lot of games logged, a lot of extra season stuff. Um, you know, th- you know, this is this being their third cup run almost all the way to game seven. That's a lot of hockey to play over the last uh, three or four years. So I think maybe time just caught up to them and Colorado was just a really fast, really super skilled opponent that, you know, has had a little bit more rest, has generally been tearing opponents apart. Um, And even with some of the injuries and stuff, they still have some of their top performers like McCarr, McKinnon, Bowen Byram. Um, Of course, Nazem Kadri came back and then, you know, they, they did lose Burakovsky, but you're looking at that versus you know, Braden Point being out for Tampa, probably not on the same level. So, you know, Tampa, I I think that it's really remarkable what they've accomplished. To even have this opportunity where you're playing for a third consecutive Stanley Cup title in the salary cap era just proves that Tampa's front office and team construction is truly among one of the greatest of all time, especially considering the constraints. I think that their office did a magnificent job managing the cap, um, And they did a really good job of working themselves out of a pinch and getting teams to help them when, in fact, Tampa uh, was starting to feel a little bit of pressure bearing down on them. So, yeah, I mean, you know, Tampa, I I don't really think that there's anything that they can be too upset about other than that they just couldn't quite uh, secure that last title. But, you know, I would dream of just one for the Jets. And so for Tampa to be competing for a third straight title is just, I mean, I don't know if there's really a lot of precedent for it in this specific kind of uh, situation and with all of the craziness that's been going on around the league and around the world, especially with uh, COVID really impacting teams financially, the salary cap being stagnant for a bit. It's just been some crazy, crazy times. And Tampa Bay have sort of risen above a lot of those challenges and managed to very nearly win a third cup. So What a Titanic series, probably one of the best Stanley Cup finals in recent memory, 
And I think a lot of folks are going to be eagerly anticipating a rematch between these two, um, whether it's during the regular season or perhaps one day in another playoff series. But as far as what these teams have brought to the table and how they got to this point, I think for the Jets, Winnipeg can take away a couple of key lessons. And we'll talk about what some of those lessons are coming right up in just a little bit. Before then, though, I wanted to shout out tonight's title sponsors at BetOnline.net. BetOnline is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports info. You can find all the latest developments, league reviews, and news, including uh, Stanley Cup Finals information and Major League Baseball scores and updates as they happen, all at BetOnline.net. They're also all of your, uh, they're, they're the source for all of your sporting wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. It also remains the best spot for all of your podcasts and news throughout the season. So you'll always be able to make the most informed bets possible and stay up to date on your favorite sports. Even if you're not into baseball or hockey, they've also got stuff like European football, racing, horses, uh, horse racing. Obviously, if you're into the Triple Crown push uh, later on, they've got pretty much every kind of sport you can imagine. NFL season's coming up, so they've got futures and stuff prepared for next season as well. And if you're into fighting and boxing, they've also got you covered there. If you're not into sports, no problem. They've even got Vegas casino games so that BetOnline.net has something for every single user, no matter your interest. Getting started really couldn't be easier. Just go to BetOnline.net and be sure to register for a free account on your laptop or mobile device. BetOnline. It's where the game starts. Hello, friends, and welcome back to this episode of Locked On Winnipeg Jets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Thank you again so much for choosing to make Locked On Jets your first listen of the day every day. Checking back in, we are kind of wrapping up our uh, Stanley Cup playoffs coverage and ultimately our season talk um, for, for the time being. Uh, and I wanted to sort of address one of the biggest questions that might be coming up for Jets fans. How does Winnipeg get to this point of a team like Tampa or Colorado? Obviously, these two teams present very interesting models of success. I will say that I think Colorado's might be uh, in the longer term a little bit more sustainable just because, you know, they've adapted as the times have changed. And to a point, Tampa Bay definitely has as well. But I think Tampa has kind of run its course, at least for the the, the time being. I think, um, you know, age is starting to catch up to some of their prime stars. So, you know, while Tampa might be aging out and over the next couple of years, maybe sees a bit of a downturn in form, Colorado's dominance might just be beginning. Now, the first thing that I think Colorado and to a point Tampa years ago, they really showed off is a deep drafting system. And I know that the Jets have often been thought of as a really good drafting team, but you look at the the, the draft picks that the Jets have had over the years, you look at who they've picked um, and how many of those guys have actually made the NHL in regular capacities. It's not that many um, from the past couple of years. There haven't been a, been a, like a lot of players that I think have found a lot of NHL success. Uh, guys like Nikolai Ehlers, Mark Shifley, Kyle Connor, all of those guys have you know been NHL veterans for the past several years. When they were drafted, obviously, uh, you know they were still young prospects, and then they kind of slowly got integrated into the Jets team. But they've been around for a while now, by all accounts. And you start looking at who's graduated since then; it's a pretty slim list. Uh, I think Logan Stanley probably qualifies. Uh, You've had a couple of other guys, maybe. uh, But for the most part, this is like a really veteran-heavy lineup. Jansen Harkins, you could argue, has a chance to be uh, a consideration here. But Harkins hasn't really played a vital role for this team. 
Cole Perfetti might be one of the few guys that I think has a real shot at, um, especially this upcoming season, solidifying like a top six role. But beyond that, you just start thinking about it and you realize that not many NHL prospects for the Jets are actually filtering up. And is it because they're not ready or is it because maybe they're just not good enough? And I think that there's a lot of questions about how the Jets have handled the development. But you look at Colorado and they've very much given their team a couple of different things. When they've acquired depth players, they've looked for guys that are really skilled and can actually kind of insulate your youth. Part of the issue with the Jets is that Winnipeg doesn't really have safety valves for a lot of the kids. I would love to play like Vili Heinola was, say, a Dylan DeMello type. I think DeMello is very good at the details, and it allows maybe somebody who's a lot more offensively aggressive in Heinola to be a little bit more free-roaming. I don't want to say don't, you know, for him to, like, abandon his core principles as a blue liner, but still, you know, let him be aggressive, let him be exploratory. I think when you let these natural talents uh, of these players express themselves, you start to get more interesting results. And that's something that I think Colorado has been very focused on. They've also had really top picks. Uh, I, I know that a couple of years ago, they were like dead last in the league. And, you know, the Jets, they've never really been at that point. But I, I think at times the Jets have played like they're they're very much in the bottom quartile. But it's just that the, the goaltending and stuff has been enough to sort of mask those issues. So, uh, kind of in the same way that Tampa Bay uh, slowly built their core and also started to extract a lot of really good value picks from later in the draft, I think, you know, Colorado has done the same, uh, all building around some really key top-end picks as well. But, you know, they've also gotten smart about cap management. They've gotten really good value out of their later round picks. They have shored up the team with some really good young players that fit their prime ages uh, and the age of the core that they've got now. So, yeah, you know, the the cornerstone and the the foundation, though, really relies on that initial drafting and the success of those prospects. And I think the Jets actually understand that. But the problem is, is that they got away from it. Past couple of years, draft and develop really hasn't meant anything for this organization. And if, if you're not really drafting and developing, you're kind of stuck in this purgatory with a lot of veterans, occasionally guys filtering up, but overall not really much progress. And I think that that is Winnipeg's primary issue is because they haven't really drafted and developed in the way that gets a lot of really high-end skill into this team, we've fallen into a pattern of watching a squad that just perennially underperforms. So that is very frustrating, um, but you know, short of Winnipeg really starting to tank, uh, it, it's hard to get to those like first and second overalls. But maybe, just maybe, if the Jets are really serious and they want to kind of go down the, this this rebuilding pathway that I think is the more realistic choice and maybe even the more beneficial one, it starts to become more of a consideration. You know, that, that line A pick obviously didn't really change the franchise in the way that we were hoping. Uh, it has had some long-lasting impacts, but how many of them are positive mm, is a bit hard to say, to be honest. But, uh, of course, drafting and developing is only one side of the equation. After that, it's how you build the roster. And in just a little bit, we'll talk a, a bit about uh, some of the what I would say are overarching philosophies when it comes to uh, both Tampa Bay and Colorado and why their organizations are so much smarter than all of the other NHL teams out there. We'll get all of this in just a little bit right after the break. Hello, friends, and welcome back to this episode of Locked on Winnipeg Jets. We are closing out tonight's episode with some brief thoughts on um, Colorado and Tampa Bay. 
We talked about their Stanley Cup series. Uh, we talked about um, some of the core foundational elements of drafting that have gotten both teams to this point. And now I kind of wanted to focus on what happens after you draft and develop, because obviously just getting these prospects and stuff into NHL rules, that gets you uh, maybe 70, 75% of the way. But it's what you start doing after that with your cap that really makes the final difference. And in this respect, I think both Colorado and Tampa have presented very interesting, interesting approaches. Tampa has had a lot of very, uh, I would say, cap hit heavy contracts. Um, I don't know how they're structured, if there's like a lot less upfront cash uh, or if they may be backloaded or something. I know that there are uh, changes recently over the past couple of years that have changed how much you can do um, in a contract restructuring. But basically, their primary thing is that they can occasionally work through loopholes and also get opponents to get uh, uh, maybe some players off of their team that are bigger cap hits than they want to keep. And then they might pay like a second or a third rounder, but they don't really care so much about that. You know, paying to get somebody off your roster and not getting bent over a barrel for it is a really big deal for Tampa Bay. And I think that they've done a masterful job of selling other teams on their cap casualties. So, yeah, maybe it's the circumstances. I saw one person elsewhere argue that um, cap value or cap hit value is a really big deal nowadays because of the flat cap stuff. But I think even then teams were kind of uh, not really hurting Tampa enough with how they were, you know, taking these these massive salary hits and not really getting paid a ton of resources for them. So I, I think Tampa Bay has done a really good job of understanding the market and kind of working around that. And then for, you know, the Colorado Avalanche, uh, they've done some of the same stuff, but I would also say that they really understood that they didn't know a lot back in the day. Joe Sackick was at one point a really bad GM, but <clears throat> he had this philosophical change where he started seeking a lot more outside advice from folks who are really data savvy. You know, they they rebuilt the analytics department. They changed how they operate in Sackick ever since then has started taking a lot of really good advice and mostly running with it. You know, the, the acquisition of Devin Taves, who has become a massive part of that top four uh, blue line unit, the addition of Larry Nichushkin, who, uh, you know, if you were on Twitter and you saw stats Twitter back in the day, you know, was the subject of the, I think it was the wins above replacement slash goals above replacement conflict. A lot of people were arguing over his value. Um, does the spreadsheet stats stuff really matter? And in Nichushkin's case, I think it's actually showcased why that data analysis and understanding what it means can be really crucial to finding underrated gems. Colorado's built a roster around doing just that. And I think because they're so data forward, because they're so savvy about how they use information how they use pro scouting and how they build that data analysis into their decision-making. It has allowed them to create a true monster. Uh, not only do they have a wonderful core of young players, they've also got really good veteran players around them who actually add considerable skill and depth. And so this team is just assembled to be an absolute juggernaut. Have there been, <clears throat> have there been some missteps? Of course, I, I think maybe the Jack Johnson signing probably wasn't necessary the Gabe Landeskog deal, a little bit pricey for what he brings at his age, but you can kind of understand why a team like that uh, and an organization might feel they have to be loyal to their captain and want to go that route. So, you know, there are some things that are maybe a little bit beyond their control and are, are kind of more based on the human side of things. But from a data forwards perspective, 
Um, and from an understanding of how they've built their team, I think that they've done a fabulous job. Um, and, and from, you know, all accounts, the way that their analytics department has done a lot of the work trying to find really good solutions and maybe players who are very much undervalued in the current market, but can bring considerable expertise and skill to a squad that already has a lot of talent up front to work with. I think it's just worked out brilliantly. I think Tampa Bay has done something very similar. Um, the Caps, you know, to a point have done that, maybe even Pittsburgh to a to a degree. A number of teams out there are using a lot of data, and increasingly it's becoming a really big part of it, you know, this deeper statistical analysis. And I think the Jets would do well to kind of follow the same pathway. Look for people who are really smart. I know that that sounds super stupid, but sometimes that's just the easiest solution. If you recognize that you don't know everything and you don't know everything because you can't possibly know everything, then ask some people who can help you fill in some of the blanks. I, I think the Jets have often been internally loyal to folks, and they don't always seem to get, I don't know, the deepest level of external insight. So I think for the Jets, restructuring that data analysis department and looking for more ways to really give them information will give them, will give them like a huge advantage in the hockey information war. That's, that's part of the issue right now. And I think if they start getting is you know smarter about that, it'll inform their decision making. They'll build a deeper team, and eventually, you know, if all goes right, they start to look more and more like Colorado and Tampa Bay, a real threat in the West. But yeah, it, it's going to be a long ways to go. I think that this would require pretty significant organizational and philosophical changes. And how likely are they? It's hard to say. But you know, just watching what Tampa Bay and Colorado have accomplished. I can only help but dream um, of a, a better future for the Jets because Winnipeg and its fan base, frankly, deserve better. And uh, the past several years that we've gotten from them are just not really acceptable. So let me know what you think about uh, some of these thoughts, what you've observed from Colorado and Tampa Bay success. Be sure to let me know what you uh, would actually do or want the Jets to do. Do you think that these organizations are good models? And, um, <clears throat> What lessons have you taken away? Be sure to let me know at HLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets on Twitter. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, but for tonight's episode, that is going to be all the time that we have. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great night and go Jets go.